All right. And we are back talking with Jessica from Remodeled Love. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about navigating non-monogamy as parents. Uh, Specifically, uh, we are both or we all three of us are parents of young children. We have Rob and I have a five year old. And um, and as you were saying, you have a four and one year old. Four and a half and one and a half. I would say they're both closer to two and five now, which is wild. Yeah. Um, so polyamory and parenthood, you just, uh, released somewhat recently a ebook on it. And, uh, I, I have been going through it. It's really been great. Uh, how was that process? How is, how has the reception been of your book? It's been fantastic. I feel like it's a resource that really didn't exist. A lot of it came from, you know, we've been now doing, you know, the peer support thing for almost two years And so starting to see trends coming up of why people are coming to peer support and where a lot of problems seem to be. And then just my husband and I both being writers, just being very hyper aware of our journey and what we felt like people um, would need to know about it in order to literally navigate non-monogamy as parents of young children. And so just, you know, the book started as a workshop. So the traffic lights chapter was mm-hmm. that's actually a workshop. And so we we're like, oh, well, we should take this workshop and turn it into a, uh, well, with the workshop, we were like, we need to make a workbook. So then we made a workbook, which was the traffic lights. And then we we're like, oh, and we should talk about this and this. And then we're like, oh shit, this is a book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yeah, so I was actually was- just talking about the traffic lights, like the, the things that stuck out, uh, some of the things that stuck out to me so much was, was empathizing with all of the red, traffic lights, the, the, the things that can make parenting and while being polyamorous so hard. Uh, mm-hmm. and I felt like every time I had gone through a point, I was like, yeah, yeah, I felt that. Yep. I've been there. Yep. <laughs> you know, like some of those things were, were super relatable. Yeah. I just got an email this morning. This was pretty long, but I think the gist of it was like, I'm a single mother and my partner has another partner and neither of them have kids and they have all this autonomy and I'm just feeling really envious. And I'm, do you have any advice? <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> Girl, no, I don't. Yeah. It's just, it's a red light. Mm-hmm. There's not, there's no reframe. There's almost really nothing you can ask for to mm-hmm. change. And she was even saying she's like solo poly and she enjoys, so she doesn't want somebody else helping her. Like she's content with her current setup, but that it just makes it really fucking hard. And I'm like, no, it's literally depressing. Yeah. It's so depressing sometimes. A single childless partner being able to just go on a spontaneous trip. I was like, can you imagine? Can you imagine how amazing that would be? <laughs> like, I mean, again, as much as we love our children so much, want to be with them at every moment, it's like, can you like... That sounds so amazing. <laughs> that sounds I don't so know. My, my boyfriend right now is at... Um, he has an Airbnb at a winery in Napa. He just went, he just left. He's got like three weeks of vacation from work and he just picked up and went. And I was just like, wow, sounds cool. And that's why we really are interested in combining families mm-hmm. because a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's why I didn't want to have kids because I didn't want to give up that autonomy. And I'm like, yeah. but there is a world in which you can have both. There mm-hmm. is a world in which I can be like, and you know, I don't know if you follow polyfamory, um, Family. and Instagram. Yeah, they're a quad, a closed quad. I don't, yeah, but I'm gonna write it together. down. Um, and and of course, there's many more. The Porta family, 
Um, there's there are several, but I always think of polyfamory because uh, I just interact with her a lot. And I was thinking like one of you. So they're a quad and together they have four kids. And I was just like, one of you could be like, ah, I'm going to go to Napa for the weekend. And there's still three parents at yeah. home. Yeah. And so a lot of people are like, I don't want to have kids because I don't want to give up my autonomy, which is totally a great, a great option. But also we can create villages in which you can be a parent and still have autonomy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the ideal, right? It is it is quite the undertaking, I think. Um, and there are so many people in the poly community, so many who are childless by choice, which I was, too, before I had a child like and um, uh, borderline anti-children. <laughs> Until I made the decision to have kids, I was pretty much against having kids. Yeah. So so I, I get it. I totally get the the desire to be childless forever. Uh, absolutely understand. Love that for them. Um, but then the kind of anti-children movement is also a little rough to deal with as a parent in the community. It's like, I, you know, you guys, like, this is, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of, it's hard not to be a little bitter when people are like, I won't date someone with children. It's like, okay, Jesus. I was just talking about that on the multi-amory podcast, the interview I did with them. Uh, it aired last week. And I was saying like, well, polyamory is controversial to the whole culture. And then parenthood is even more controversial because it's, it's con controversial within something already controversial, but it's also controversial within polyamory. And mm -hmm. the host, one of the hosts asked, like, why do you think parenting is controversial within polyamory? Like, I'm surprised to hear that. And I'm like, Be I get it all the time. Yeah. Like, people are like, and I don't maybe like it's not con so much controversial. Maybe that's the wrong word, but that people are just so anti-kid and they yeah. let you know. And it's uh -huh. really hard not shy about it exactly yeah it, and it is disheartening. yeah and it, they're very it's very righteous yeah and they're like i won't date parents okay cool that feels like shit thanks for letting me know i'm not saying you have to you get to have boundaries but why do you have to be so loud about it <laughs> right yes yes it can yeah it definitely feels that way sometimes and again and and it's really hard because i've definitely been in that position where i'm like i don't really like other people's kids you know especially as a younger adult i'm like i don't really want to be around kids and so i'm like okay i get it cool but then when yeah when people are really shitty about it i'm like but you don't have to be a douche like what <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fine to feel that way i don't think i was ever rude to anybody over it though or you know we hope not yeah point, but uh you don't have to go out of your way to to you know push them away because mm -hmm. of their choices i think there's also a a kind of hangover from monogamous culture that tells parents, and I think this is usually like parents who are divorced, that they shouldn't introduce their kids to new partners. And so there's this hang up, I feel like with um, people who are like, why well, can't meet your kids unless we're serious? And I'm like, well, what the fuck is serious mean? And also, why not? I introduce my daughter to my friends and I don't hang out with them every single week. Like I don't, you know, everyone's comfortability level of who they introduce their kids to is different. But with us, all of our partners are friends. Full stop. They will be friends. If we're not dating them, they were friends probably before we started dating them. And we introduce our kids to friends, right? And 
I expect that if they have kids, I'd probably meet them too. So I feel like that can sometimes end up being, I don't know, something that that prevents people from wanting to meet people's kids, maybe. So they, they think it's wrong. Yeah, I, nothing makes sense to me. And sometimes I'm like, maybe that's the autism is that like my brain is like think, looking at something very rationally and like, because I say that all the time, they're like, well, what happens if you introduce your kids? And I'm like, but I literally would not hesitate to introduce my kid to a neighbor we just met or right. a friend from work. I think people's concern is emotional attachment, which we talk a lot about in the book is like, well, but kids need to learn that not all relationships last forever. And death is a thing. Yeah. People die relationships die and it's more important to model it than pretending like it doesn't happen. That said, yeah, I'm not going to play up a relationship that isn't super stable and, oh, totally. you know, but like, I don't know if you have enough stable people in your kid's life, then somebody not being stable will come and go. And we also talk about in the book, like my kids have lost people that were super important to them in the sense that they had to be removed because of a lack of value alignment, or maybe they were toxic or emotionally abusive. And none of those people were partners, Mm -hmm. but we don't go around being like, Oh, we shouldn't introduce our kids to extended family members because they might leave. Like Mm -hmm. it's only something that's projected onto polyamorous people's extra partners. And it makes no sense. And I get very frustrated because I feel like the people asking that question have not done any rational examination <laughs> on the absurdity of the question. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, something that a, a term that you had used in the book that I mean, I, I, I recognize that it is a term that the like the phrase passing ships, you know, like passing ships in the night. Uh, but when I read it in the book, I was like, that is such a good explanation of how it can feel like as a parent when you're when you have a, a full time job, a child your partners have full-time jobs and you are also uh, trying to date and you see your potentially like nesting partner, co-parent, whatever, you know, at, at 10 PM before bed and, or something, or maybe not, or for coffee in the morning. And that's the only time you get to see them. And you feel like you're just passing ships. I mean, um, how do you, do you think that, do you guys have any advice, I guess, for, for folks who are like, wow, yeah, we are maybe spreading ourselves too thin here. Uh, we don't get to see our primary partner or our, our co-parent very often. Yeah, well, we talk about that in the book in our best practices chapter that in order to prevent passing ship syndrome, you have to schedule conscious time together the same way you would schedule dates with other partners. And it's just, again, it's back to these are all problems of the nuclear family mm-hmm. because in a world in which they're in, it doesn't even have to be other partners. <laughs> it can be chosen family, friends, aunties, uncles, grandparents, but in a world in which it's just not one or two people solely responsible for the children, then that's not a problem uh, because you can easily schedule time together. But right now, in order for my husband to go on a date, I am the one holding down the fort. Mm -hmm. So for each other to have autonomy, the other one has to not have it for that time period. And so in order to schedule time together, you're going to have to invest in family time or invest in a babysitter or somebody to come in so that you yourselves can go on a date. And the only way to do that is to schedule it. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, and 
before I had a child, I was dating a couple with um, three kids and it was astounding to me. I mean, luckily they both had money. So when we would all go out, they would tell me like, oh yeah, we're giving our babysitter, you know, I was like sometimes like $75 for the night. And I was like, holy shit, that's really expensive, you guys. And they're like, yeah, well, it's a babysitter. And I was like, oh my God, being a parent is so, so expensive. <laughs> like just to go out because they both were going out. Um, it And I feel like the default, I guess, for a lot of parents is like, well, well, if I go out, then you have to stay home. If you go out, then I will stay home. And you make that, you, those decisions or those compromises, or you have to pay. And it can be kind of a, a struggle for folks who are not of a certain income bracket. Yeah. It's really dystopian and depressing. Yeah. I had an ex boyfriend actually offer to take me to a super fancy steak dinner a couple of weeks ago. And he said something like, oh, well, don't worry, I'm paying for it. And I was like, yeah, but if I don't find a babysitter because my husband was out of town, it to be treated to go out is going to cost me $65. Right. Just to get it. It's going to cost me $65 to get a free steak dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It is so sad. I, and ex- it helps when you have, you know, a support network. Sometimes we have in-laws. Uh, sometimes we have friends. But I, one of the ideals that I've really wanted to do is make a local poly parenting network that has a babysitter, <laughs> like, I don't know, membership where you're like, if you can donate one night a month to watch someone else's kids, we will watch yours or something like that. Some kind of barter system where we can have free babysitters and then babysit other kids. Um, that's us whole Excel spreadsheet that I need to figure out one day, but I, I have always fantasized about that. I was like, oh, we should, there's so many people in the community with kids. Why doesn't this yeah. exist? It doesn't even need to be other polyamorous parents. No. What, what baffles me is I'm constantly doing this and it just seems like other people are not as desperately interested as I am. And I'm like, are y'all just comfortable right, with not going out or a lot of them, you know, just have in-laws or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely takes someone being as into that idea. Cause I did that with childcare. So I networked with neighbors and created a um, basically a time banked childcare. So one day for one day mm. uh, for the entire last year before our kids went to preschool and it was life-changing and this, and you know, we use the term time banking in our book to chop <clears throat> to talk about the way my husband and I log our autonomous time, meaning time away from the house to do our own thing, to make sure that it's equitable. But time banking is actually a mutual aid concept that exists in a lot of cities where you put in one hour for whatever your offering is and you get one hour. So no matter what the value of that offering is, so if you're a dentist, one hour of your dentistry is equal to one hour of that babysitter's time. Mm-hmm. So it's a form of mutual aid because it levels the playing field and then you opt in from a mutual aid purpose. Mm-hmm. So it definitely benefits people whose maybe skill set is less valued hourly by the system. But then if you are someone who has more resources, you're doing it for that reason. So these, these childcare time-baking systems that you're imagining, they exist. And these time banks exist and they're really, really cool because people who have kids and are low income and their only offering is, and I say only offering not to downplay, but it's just like what they're able to do is offer childcare. It's a really good way for them to get other services that they need. 
Nice. Yeah, I will definitely have to look into that. Like yeah, it's like a really good idea. So something that comes up a lot in the in the ebook is couples privilege and hierarchy, um, which is always a really interesting conversation as a parent because um, something that is hard to do is dismantle hierarchy when you have undeniable like duties and uh, obligations to parent a child that cannot take care of themselves, especially a young child who just cannot do anything, literally anything on their own. And it is often really hard as someone who who definitely in my heart identifies as a relationship anarchist Mm -hmm. to really truly use that label all the time when I when I then have to use like then I have to like say something along the lines of but I do have children and they like I do have a child and she will always be my first priority. (laughs) So it's like so sorry. Uh, I don't know if that disqualifies me Uh, but I don't know. Do you have any feelings about like dismantling couples privilege and hierarchy when it's really really difficult to oh yeah i mean we have a whole chapter on it yeah we just talk about like i mean in one case you're pro hierarchy and great just tell everyone that you talk to like we believe in hierarchy and this is how it shows up in our marriage but in the case that you have kids and you i we say our compass points toward relationship anarchy and non or yeah relationship anarchy and non-hierarchy it's this balance of saying we are oriented in that direction but you have to stay humble to the reality that there is an extent to which you can enact that and you have to live in that paradox Mm -hmm. i feel it's similar to like explaining the difference between like fair and equal sometimes where it's like, yeah, I mean, I want fair relationships with everyone. Uh, I don't necessarily want kids in a mortgage with anyone else. Um, it's not off the table, but I, I don't really desire it. Uh, so my relationships don't have to be equal to be respected and treated fairly. And that can sometimes be a bit of a, I don't know, a, like a, a, a people have to learn to understand that 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 uh, equal doesn't always mean maybe what you think it means or or that equality isn't necessarily maybe even what you're looking to get out of a relationship because not every relationship can be equal or have any real desire to have all of the things for all of the people. Yeah. Our antidote to the inability for parents who are even desiring to be non-hierarchical to be that way is we have our, our, is it 14 question workbook in our book and Our theory is if you answer these questions with as much honesty as possible and then hand that workbook to anyone you might be dating, it gives them a really thorough playbook on how your relationship is structured. And so it's not going to be non-hierarchical in the sense that if our kids are sick, Mm -hmm. you might have to cancel a date, but at least you knew that heading in because it's listed in our workbook. Like We don't cancel if they have a cold but if one of them has a fever, we do cancel because it probably means we might be up all night and we don't want to put that burden on the the at-home parent. And so there's hierarchy inherently. It's, you know, descriptive, not prescriptive, but also you knew about it coming in. Right. And it is so much easier to have these conversations with fellow poly parents, but that's not always the case. Right. And so I do feel like when I'm talking to another parent, they're like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. And then when I'm talking to somebody who's maybe... Uh, who's either not a parent or has no wi- no intention to be, they might be like, oh, right. Yeah, I guess I haven't considered that. But that makes sense because <laughs> it does, That's right? Like, you would think. Yeah. 
I feel like that's why our book is so powerful because it it's really can be for anyone who might even be considering dating a parent or if you're a friend of a polyamorous parent and you just want to understand them better there the book will explain so many things like one of our sensitivity readers said they're not a parent but they date a parent and it made them understand their partners better and there's just it's such a nuanced experience um like even you know fellow content creators that i admire that i am like everything you do is brilliant you know i saw somebody one of my beloved content creators post something about the importance of self care and the whole post was about if you're a polyamorous person and you love dating sure go on lots of dates but make sure you're scheduling time for self care and i was just like this is so obtuse to anyone with kids it is <laughs> right. so obvious two slides into this post that you don't have kids yep yeah. And it can be really disheartening to be a parent reading these posts and going, oh, I'm a shitty polyamorous person and a bad parent because I'm failing to do that. And like, oftentimes I'm choosing from a very limited resource bank of free nights in a month. So if I have to choose between a self-care night to myself and seeing a partner mm-hmm. and going on a date and having hot sex like I'm going to probably choose that one and not just feel like <laughs> taking a bath and being alone, although that is nice. But if I have a choice, I'm going to make the choice to see a partner I don't get to see enough. Yeah, which is which is a sad choice to make, because, again, we and I feel like so many folks in the community do talk about self-care as being so important. And I before children definitely used to say things like make sure if you're you know, if you have one date night with a partner a week and another date night with another partner a week, you always have to date yourself. Always try to give yourself that one night a week too. And I was like, yeah, because I was in college and I had no obligations whatsoever. Of course I could give myself every Sunday night. Yeah. That's so easy to do when you don't have <laughs> any other obligations in the world. Um, but yeah, nowadays, ooh, like it's, it's a treat. It's definitely a treat to get like a nice uh, date uh, night with yourself. But like you said, if you get three nights a month with or just free, full stop, uh, it's it's a hard choice to make to be like, well, do I want to be alone? <laughs> for me, I always want to be alone. So I don't know. <laughs> it's an easy choice for me. But um, yeah, that's rough. Um, I've got another partner that I bring um, our child with too frequently. So I have her with me quite a bit. And it's great because my partner has a kid. And so they play and get along and it's wonderful. Um, but it doesn't allot me alone time in the house very often uh, because of it, but not because of it. Actually, those are, those are separate, <laughs> but I usually don't have uh, alone time in the house. So yeah. So when it's an option, it's like, Ooh, Oh yes, absolutely. Nice yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My favorite thing to do is like, if I'm going to do a getaway is get like a hotel room in one of the casinos here for two nights. And like one night is a partner comes and the next night is nobody comes. I am law and order marathon. Cause you know, it's always on <laughs> and room service or snacks and some weed and like, yeah, it's a luxury. <laughs> So something I thought was really um, interesting to talk about would be because there's a whole chapter on polyamory and pregnancy. And I was definitely so I identify as poly as like my identity. So when I was pregnant, that didn't change. But I did decide to stop dating um, because I wasn't 
I wasn't dating anyone serious at the time. And so it was just like, well, I'll just stop. The idea of like starting a new relationship while pregnant seemed kind of odd to me because I was under the assumption by society and movies that I would be a crazy monster, like <laughs> that uh, my entire life would change um, while pregnant. And that didn't feel like the case. Uh, it probably would have been fine. But my my personal choice was to not date while while pregnant. Um, d- did you date while pregnant? I don't know. I guess I, that's a really oh, personal yeah. question. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved it. And I thought it was so cool that people were willing to date me while pregnant and they weren't creepy like you know, they didn't have a fetish or something. It was just like, they were just mature and cool. And, you know, at that time for me, it was really nice to not have to worry about pregnancy. Um, oh yeah, so, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to worry about it. Is that, I definitely that, was, uh, I definitely got some messages for people who only wanted to have sex with me while I was pregnant, which was awkward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely had um, relationships when I got pregnant. And so then just, you know, had to tell them, Hey, I'm pregnant. Do you want to continue? And everyone was like, yeah. And they were all really sweet and none of them want kids. And so (laughs) definitely it felt a little bit like it was pulling me away from them too, because I knew, I knew that. Um, But it was really nice to just be able to fuck and not worry about getting pregnant because I have always had a pretty intense uh, pregnancy paranoia. I mean, even just as 14 at my first period, you know? Um, And so that I that was my first taste at getting to realize like the freedom that not worrying about that brings to my sex life. So I really enjoyed dating. I would have been open to meeting new people as well, but I just uh, was already dating people. So I didn't. But my husband made his first uh, dating profile ever when I was pregnant with this last with my youngest. And because he had previously been anti dating apps. And so he made it. I was like six months pregnant. <laughs> And people were very triggered. Like <laughs> very even most people were very triggered by that. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, there were definitely some nights in which I was like pregnant and home alone uh, while Rob was on a date. And I'm sure people had feelings about that. But I was like, no, no, no. You don't understand how much I love being alone. <laughs> I was like, no, this is lovely. I'm going to be with my cats. I'm going to watch some movies. <laughs> I'm going to hang out and just be my pregnant self, which just needs to eat and, you know, be hang out. (laughs) I think a lot of times too, people are just married to like really shitty guys. And so they're really triggered on the idea that like, he's just off doing what he wants. And I'm like, it's really not like that. Like I'm good. He's a good person. It's not like what you're imagining. If your man was out with someone else and you would probably actually be being neglected but yeah, so a lot of people just can't comprehend. Uh, a while back, I mean, this is probably two years, three years ago. Gosh, this was pre-pandemic. We had um, a midwife on the show and we interviewed them, Lucky Tomasic, who's a good friend of mine. And she specifically has a, like a midwifery practice catered to like queer folks, alternative families and poly folks. And we talked about like having, you know, more people at a birth, if that's something you're, you would like um, having a poly family as a support network. This was pre-pandemic. So it's a little different now because at hospitals, you're really like uh, limited to either having just a partner or just a support person. But I think that kind of stuff is, I think those restrictions are lifting a little bit. But when it comes to home birth or or going through a midwife, it's sometimes pretty open. 
did you have a uh, a good support network when you were like going through the births? I did. I had two home births and within the home birth world, there's like the very crunchy home birth people that actually it gets so crunchy. It actually becomes very conservative. Yeah, it goes yeah, back around. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, there's like there's actually very conservative Trump supporting home birth people, anti-vax. And then there's crunchy hippie neoliberal home birth people. And I'm actually leftist pro-science home birth person and i had the same type of midwives very very evidence-based very science-based um i always like to toss that out there because people like when they hear polyamory get a lot of preconceived notions and so when they hear that i had a home birth they're like oh you would like, you have no fucking clue. <laughs> like i do yeah. midwives with the highest transfer rates for a mm-hmm. reason yeah. right because i want to know i'm choosing a midwife since anyway um my first birth, I had this vision that all of my chosen family inner circle was going to be there. And it started with like 10 people there. And then I was having failure to progress or it was just progressing very slowly. It was a total traumatic, very traumatic birth experience. And by the end, I had needed everyone to leave. Um, but it was very polyamorous. Not that all of those people there were my partners, but it was very much what my polycule in the sense of chosen family was at that time. And my midwives were very, very supportive. And then for my second birth, I was much more realistic about the fact like there's a reason people birth in caves alone. (laughs) Right. It's a very private experience. Um, And so it was actually, you know, a member of our polycule was essentially the person who got me through the entire birth. I, had so much trauma from my first birth that I refused to call my doula and my midwife because my first birth, I called them too early and then struggled with guilt the entire labor. And so this time I was like, don't call them yet. Don't call them yet. Um, And so it was a member of our polycule that um, my husband was sleeping, which is so annoying, but also (laughs) it it was encouraged because I was like, the more sleep you get now, the more later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so a member of our polycule did my entire, entire labor with me. And it was so beautiful and such a special experience for them. Um, they're also the babies godfather. And so when just to be through that experience with me, it was very queer and polyamorous in nature and something that would you would never see in a hospital. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we definitely chose the hospital route, but with a, uh... A registered nurse midwife at the hospital who I trusted dearly because she actually went to high school with Rob, which I loved. Uh, so it was like a family friend, and she was a science-based, you know, crunchy lesbian <laughs> hippie. So I was like, cool. I trust you. I think you're, you know, you have our values align, but I still want to be here in case there's emergency. And of course there was, I had to have an emergency C-section. So I was like, okay, I'm so glad I made this choice, but also, uh, you know, like freak out. Um, (laughs) so, um, yeah, but it was the person who like, you know, the most, I would say crunchy person in the room was like, yeah, we need to take you for an emergency C-section. And I was like, cool. You're telling me this. I believe you. All right. We are because you hear so much stuff from folks who are really anti-hospital births, of like, oh, yeah, they, you know, they'll cart you in to get in a C-section because they want to go to golf. I'm like, I don't think that's true. No, it's um, absolutely true. It's <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that and that's not what happens to everyone, but that's absolutely 
Yeah, well, the, I mean, I, I definitely agree that there are some shitty, shitty doctors out there. And I really liked my doctor. So, I mean, I hope that uh, folks really are choosy, right? When they when they are um, looking for someone to trust in their birth experience, because there are options out there. There's so many options out there, but people, I feel like, and not everybody knows that, right? And that is a privilege that you get to choose a doctor. But yeah. yeah. Well, and it's a privilege to have a home birth as well, but it's just, it's very similar to polyamory in the sense that like, there is so much freedom to choose a different script than monogamy, to choose a different script than hospital birth, but people just literally don't know about it. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have any advice for uh, poly parents out there that you would like to close with? Yeah, I would say really, really focus on building community, really focus on building your emotional intelligence so that you are learning emotional intelligence is going to help you with parenting as well as polyamory. And honestly, buy our book because I really feel like we cover so much and it's not long, you know, it's, it's just over a hundred pages like printed out. And we, in that hundred pages, we cover so much of what I think is the foundation of what folks need to know and especially, I think time banking is one of the most life-changing things even monogamous parents should be doing. Um, and the second you add a second kid, like once you get beyond one kid, shit just gets harder and more complicated and harder to balance. And so going out on dates when we only had one kid, it feels a lot different than now where the uh, the burden of the child rearing um, like just bedtime alone is very draining with two very young kids. Um, whereas with one, I felt like we had really gotten into a groove. We felt really balanced. We didn't even really feel like we needed a time bank because we had so much autonomous time and the burden of one kid just wasn't too bad. And then the second that second kid came along, it was like, oh my God, <laughs> drowning. Yeah, for sure. Where can folks find you? So I finally started consolidating my brand because I had different usernames across different platforms. It was driving me nuts. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Remodeled Love. Just look for Remodeled Love. You can also go to remodeledlove.com and it has links to all of our shit. So honestly, just go to remodeledlove.com and any social media you want to find me on from there. And then it's a very, it's one tap once you get to our website to download our book, which like I said, you can print it out. So it is an ebook. And I, I feel like I tried to make that so clear, but just before I got on this call, I got an email from someone like, how much is shipping? And I'm like, it's an ebook. <laughs> um, but we did set it so that you can print it out, which I think is very unique. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, I paid $5 at FedEx or whatever to have this book printed out and bound. It will soon be an audio book as well as a print-to-order book. But for now, it is an ebook. It's available at mutual aid pricing. So those who have more pay more for the book and those who have less still have access. So you can pay as little as $5 for the book. Um, And it goes up to 50. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah. When I bought the book, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this was an option. I love that. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Well, we will definitely add the remodeledlove.com and links to the ebook and your podcast. What are you doing with your podcast? Like, uh, how, um, what is your podcast about? Do you just interview people as well, or do you guys talk amongst yourself? 
It's both. So, you know, my background is in live radio and I did a lot of celebrity interviews in my career and I really enjoy it. And so I was doing a lot of interviews in season two and then got a lot of feedback that people actually much prefer, even though everyone was very like, they're all really good. But man, we love the episodes where it's just you and Joe or you and Joe and like other people. And so we are trying to get back to that with season three. We just launched season three and you can see it reflected in the, in the analytics of the show downloads too. very people much like it. <laughs> yeah. And so I just think my husband and I have great rapport and the way we talk about things is very interesting. So our podcast is just whatever the hell we want it to be. Um, sometimes it's interviews. Sometimes it's just him and I talking about our very non-exciting polyamorous life. That's a lot of it. It's just like trying, especially because we started the podcast when I was six months pregnant with number two. And so through the podcast, we have a whole ass other baby. And the first, honestly, 15 months of his life was really hard because he had like really bad, like the worst reflux you can have or required really nasty medicine. And he didn't. So the first like eight months of his life were like traumatizingly hard. And then it's just been that he doesn't sleep through the night and we're drowning and shit's just hard. And so our episodes are kind of few and far between. And you go on that journey with us. <laughs> right. Like we were really on it before before he came out. But then when he came out, it's just been really hard to get. I think it took us it took us literally a year and a half to do season two, which is only 12 episodes. Uh, but now we're getting a little more grounded. He's 19 months old and if we can just get some childcare, we'll be putting out a lot more episodes. That's really the thing is like, it's not just that we can't get time together to go on dates, but we can't really even get time in the studio because it requires somebody. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the whole pandemic of it all, you, you had a baby during the pandemic. I had, a, I was pregnant during a pandemic. Yeah. The vaccine didn't even come out until he was like three months old maybe two months old. Yeah. It's been really interesting. And uh, when he, cause we tried co-sleeping and when he just was not sleeping, we ended up turning our home recording studio into his nursery. And so it's forced us to come. I'm at an office right now. I run an office now. And so like we used to just do episodes after the kids went to bed. Oh but, yeah. That's rough. <laughs> Um, yeah. So now he, yeah. So we, our home recording studio is no more because the baby took it as they always do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My, my home recording studio, I'm going to use some severe quotes is a nook off of my yarn room because I also own a yarn business. <laughs> and then, uh, but it's so funny. I was just like printing labels off uh, earlier today and I looked over at this nook and there's like a sewing machine. Cause I sew sometimes um, a keyboard. Cause Rob, plays a keyboard and so we have a keyboard a bunch of mics uh, a, a, a ring light for when I do videos or if I'm like recording something and I was just like looking at all of my hobbies all in one area and then it's off of a yarn room and I was like am I am I doing too much <laughs> like oh no <laughs> I just I have so much shit um and it's I don't know why I feel like poly people they do this they just keep saying yes say do more things Life is exciting. Got to do all the things. <laughs> Holly hobbyist. It's yes. the ADHD. Let's be real. We have a lot of loves. <laughs> a lot of loves. Yeah. A lot of go around. <laughs> yeah. So I totally, I totally get that. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Oh. Thank you for your time. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
it's valuable. Have, have a good week. <laughs> yes, you too. All right. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. In the beginning, there was no name for it. The act was lumped in with general anal sex and general strap-on sex, but perhaps seeing a hole that needed filling, an online contest was held to name the act. When the dust had settled, the word was clear and the world was changed. Pegging. A sex act in which the pegger anally penetrates the peggy with a strap-on dildo. Authors Cooper S. Beckett and Lindsay Miller tackle all you've ever wanted to know about pegging. How do we do it? What are the right tools for the job? Does it actually feel good? I'm a straight guy. Will pegging make me gay? They answer these questions and also talk about safety, male anatomy, and the health benefits of being pegged. Beckett and Miller guide you through your experimentation with this most excellent act in a friendly and conversational fashion, showing you an in-depth look between the cheeks. The Pegging Book, a complete guide to anal sex with a strap-on dildo by Cooper S. Beckett and Lindsay Miller, published by Thornapple Press. Available for purchase on October 14th, 2022, where all books are sold. Find more information at thepeggingbook.com. podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why as it pertains to our poly lives. Hi there and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored. You're listening to episode 97, and we are here with Jessica from Remodeled Love. Special episode today, we have husband Rob as our podcast co-host for the day. And uh, we're going to talk about some parenting and polyamory. Uh, so stay tuned as we delve into the good, bad, ugly, and the just plain complicated truths of our poly lives. So hello, Jessica. Who are you? Who am I? I don't even know if I have the answer to that. At least in this part of my life, I am a almost 37-year-old neurodivergent demisexual polyamorous mama. My kids are four and a half and one and a half. I'm white, pronouns she, her. I am cisgender, non-disabled. And I recently learned um, a small fat 
I had been identifying as mid-size and I learned that the proper term is actually small fat. And I always reveal all these parts of my identities at the top of an interview because it's so important that people understand my lens before they hear my wisdom. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I usually, my my follow-up because some folks will just be like, I am, you know, here's my name <laughs> is like, how do you identify what labels do you use? And you literally said all of them. So that's awesome. I love that. What does polyamory mean to you? Polyamory to me is about freedom. And that's not to imply that people inside monogamous relationships aren't free. I do speak to the nature of polyamory, though, that I do believe it to be a more free model just by the nature of it. But specifically because it's who I am, it makes me feel free. So I'm able to allow relationships to be what they are based on the chemistry of the two people involved and not limited by the presence of a relationship with another person. And so I'm free to explore vibes. And what drew you to polyamory? Well, I am polyamorous. (laughs) That's what drew me. How did you find it? You know, or in yourself, <laughs> I identify like when you when you listen to the first two episodes of Remodeled Love, the podcast, we tell over the course of two episodes, our whole story, like the story people always want to hear. And we always identify this one moment in 2013 where two friends, we were going tubing the river with two friends and they brought up polyamory. And I, you know, say like, Every cell in my body just became electrified and I knew instantly this is who I am. And suddenly my whole past made sense. And I like didn't need to read a book. I didn't need to consume any media. I was ready to start in that moment. But it was interesting because then I had a, a longtime friend from college was like, what are you talking about? You had never heard of polyamory before. Like all of our, a lot of our friends were polyamorous in college. And I was just like, Really? And then I had this very specific memory of the first boy that I ever loved that also loved me back. I'm a very late bloomer. I was definitely invisible to boys in middle school, high school, and uh, wasn't ready to pursue my queerness yet at that time, even though I was very queer. And so I really didn't have a boyfriend until I was like 21. And it was kind of a weird relationship. And then I was... 22. And I met a boy who was backpacking through Europe and I was living there. And we just had a very intense, very brief love affair. And I remember him giving me this book, The Ethical Slut, and telling me that he was not monogamous. And I just, I just think shit just is not ready to plant until it's ready to plant. And so I technically had heard about it several times, but it wasn't until 2013 four years into my relationship with my partner and baby daddy um, and three months before we were getting married that I officially was like the term landed in my world and became my identity. When did you know that you were Polly? Oh, in that moment. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I was like, wait, we, we, we just went over that. Yep. <laughs> so what, if anything, do you find difficult about polyamory? I find polyamory within compulsory monogamy difficult. I find polyamory within capitalism difficult just because no one has time to pursue the many loves that we may be finding. And if we do have time, we don't have the spoons or the money to pursue it. And so 
I think a lot of us are just out here longing for connections that we might never find or sitting in connections that we just don't have time to pursue. And then you add parenting into that. And, you know, if you are parenting with a full-time job in this current hellscape, I mean, I just don't understand how anyone's going on any dates ever. I have a very flexible job and so does my partner and we're barely able to pull off polyamory. And so I, my heart is really with anyone who's a single parent or who is working 60 hours a week or even 40 hours a week. I mean, fuck it. Like I just, I just think the ability to execute polyamory logistically is the hardest thing about it. And then I think for people who had less access to mental health resources, um, I feel like the reason polyamory has become a very, not easy, but... Um, it's become manageable. And I even thrive inside of it because I have an immense amount of emotional intelligence, which is the result of access to resources that I had in the last decade. And so I think, you know, for a lot of people, the hardest thing about polyamory would be having community support and access to the quality emotional support that you would need in order to continue to walk the path. Where are you in your poly journey? Where am I? (laughs) I'm, you know, we're about to hit the 10 year mark. I've never really had a relationship last more than two or three months. And I think a lot of that is the result of me living in what's considered a midsize city. It's growing pretty rapidly, but I live in Reno, Nevada, which is like four hours east of the Bay Area. And It's not a very big city. In fact, the slogan is the biggest little city in the world. And so in the last 10 years, they're just the polyamorous population hasn't been very big here. And so I dated a lot of people that I met on dating apps who had never been polyamorous before, but we had a vibe. And so they were like, well, I want to explore it in order to date you. And then either they didn't have the tools or usually what happened is they met someone and then went to be monogamous with them. So I am at a point where I'm really longing for more sustainable connections. I also think a part of what was happening was like I have some kind of fear of longer term relationships and working through. I always say like the matrix glitched for me and my partner, my baby daddy husband to meet because like we're just good. We are the definition of a really healthy sustainable, long-term couple. We are so alike, so simpatico in so many ways. So like, we're just good. And like that glitch happened to bring us together and we had our kids. But when it comes to learning, I think what most people learn (laughs) in relationships, like we're both learning that in our other relationships. And so we haven't had very many sustainable things. And it's really made me to get to this place where I'm yearning for Honestly, I would love another husband and another wife or a wife. I don't have a, I would like two husbands and a wife. And honestly, you can remove all the genders from that. Like, I just want another partner. I don't have a sexual relationship in my marriage. We're very in love, but we evolved into a non-sexual dynamic in this last year. And so I would really like kind of two more quote unquote serious connections. And what I mean by that is people who want to be a part of our family 
and want to help us with child rearing, which I find impossible inside the nuclear family. Um, so I would really like to find people who want to grow the family um, by bringing their presence to us and helping it with that. And also people that I can like really explore my sexuality with. Well, and our next question is, where do you hope to go on your poly journey? Uh, or do you have any poly goals? So I guess that's yeah. similar. to that. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And like, I would really like to find, even if it wasn't partners, and that's kind of where I'm leaning toward now, like our main goal right now is to find another family, at least one, if not two other families who actually want to um, combine families in order to break out of this nuclear bullshit. And um, I think it would make parenting easier and better um, and probably childhood better as well. And I've just I've unattached from the need for that to be a partner. Literally, it could just be community and so we're sort of more focused on that and sort of getting rid of the idea that we have to fall in love with other people who then want to like expand that family. But yeah, I would just love to combine families with one or two other families and figure this shit out together. And then from there, um, I can be probably more free to have different types of relationships. And then there isn't so much of a need for those other relationships to have to play a role in my family. But currently, if you're dating me and you don't want to be around my family for whatever reason, I'm not going to be able to see you very much. <laughs> yeah. Especially because my kids are so young. So what needs to happen is you either I need to be dating people who want to be around my, me when I'm in mom mode and when I'm around my family, or I need more family so that I can have more autonomy outside of the unit. Totally. Why do you think you are Polly? I think that I'm wired this way. It's a very spiritual thing for me. So I'm a very woo, very witchy person. I definitely feel like the universe, and I speak only for myself when I talk about these things. Um, I think the universe brings me people to show me pieces of myself and to teach me lessons and to heal parts of my inner child. And so with polyamory more people are, I can, I can navigate through more of that. And I feel like there's a lot of, on the map of love, there's a lot of territory to be covered and learned. And each person's going to bring you a different type of experience. And so I feel like I'm polyamorous to cover as much of that territory, I, to be an explorer of love. My values are also in alignment with the values of polyamory, which is just, you know, I want you to be a whole ass person doing your thing and exploring the freedoms and pleasures that you want to explore in this lifetime. And I don't want you to not have those things simply because I don't want you to not have those things. And I want that freedom for myself as well. So there's a value alignment there. And then there's also a political alignment. I think polyamory is an extremely political stance. I think it's inherently anti-capitalist and um, in that way, it focuses more on the building of community, uh, mutual aid, the idea of shared child rearing, the idea that our kids don't belong to us, that we are responsible for them, but they don't belong to us. And I feel like you see a lot of this in polyamorous people. So those are the reasons I'm polyamorous. Awesome. And we'll definitely get more into that with the uh, with the topic of our discussion today. But our, our last intro question is, why did you agree to be interviewed today? 
<laughs> I agreed to be interviewed because I love talking about polyamory, the mission of Remodeled Love, which is, you know, our Instagram, TikTok, YouTube podcast website is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships. And the way to do that is to be polyamorous and to talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to take a short break and we'll be right back. 